Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. We pray with me. Lord, may the meditation of all of our hearts and may the words of my mouth be holy and acceptable unto you this day. May you foster in us a desire to seek to live in the light and life, truth, love, and grace that you are and that you offer to us in and through your only Son, Jesus Christ, the Word, who was made flesh. We pray this in your holy name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So today's gospel reading is John 1, and it's also the passage that I've chosen to preach on. Now, if any of you attended one of our two Christmas Eve services earlier this week, then you might remember that Pastor Allen also preached on John 1, and it might seem odd to some of us. It was very odd to me that he chose this passage, especially when we consider the fact that there's a lot of visitors who attend our church on that particular evening out of the year, during this time of year. I mean, think about it. Why preach from what is considered one of, if not the most theologically profound and complex passages in all of Scripture when there's a good chance that the majority of those who were in attendance came to hear that old and more familiar story of the birth of Jesus? I mean, why John 1? From all appearances, it would seem that John knows next to nothing about Mary, Joseph, angels or shepherds, stars or magi, or even the little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger. So why then this particular reading of all readings? And why is John 1 a repeated option to be read throughout Advent and Christmas year after year? Now, as a side note, John 1 is appointed about 14 times a year in the lectionary, four of which fall into a two-week window every year during Advent and Christmas. Also, if you were to pray morning and evening prayer, and if you were to read all the selected scripture readings every day for three years, you would encounter this passage, John 1, 1 through 18, more than 42 times. In addition, you would encounter almost all of its themes within the prayers, the confession, the creed, and the daily collects. And there's good reason why John 1, outside of the Psalms, is a passage that is frequently repeated as an an appointed reading for us throughout the year. And there's also good reason, this will be the third time I've preached on this passage in the past two years, Why? Because I believe that it captures the heart and the meaning and the benefits of the gospel in a nutshell. That is to say that John 1, the beginning of John's gospel, captures the heart, the meaning, and the benefits of the Christmas story. What we find at the heart of this passage is one of, if not the most boldest and most revolutionary claims that you will ever hear, that you will ever read, that God became flesh and dwelt among us. 
In fact, during his sermon on Christmas Eve, Pastor Allen said it this way, that all theology, that all study, all worship of God, all philosophy, all wisdom is speculative if the incarnation of God is a hoax. If the incarnation, that is God coming into the world, that is God taking on flesh, becoming flesh, if the incarnation is a hoax, then it is a cruel deception that didn't actually happen. And if this is true, then everything we're doing this morning, everything that Christians believe and think and do is just a shot in the dark. It is speculative at best and utterly foolish. But if what John says is true, then there is no greater truth. There is no greater story. There is no greater sentiment, no greater philosophy, no greater theology than this, that God became flesh. And this is why we preach John 1 frequently throughout the season of Christmas, year after year And yes, it is very complex and extremely profound, but it is also a simple word about the word of God concerning God's vision for the healing of all humanity, all creation. It is a word about the revelation of God's love in the person of Jesus Christ. And so what we find in the beginning of John's gospel is a summary of sorts. It is a summary of the entire history of salvation. It's like a capsule version of the entire gospel. So this morning I invite you to turn with me to John 1 and let's together see what John has to say about Jesus Christ, the Word of God who became flesh. John begins his gospel by focusing on a specific term. In your Bibles in English, that word is word. The logos. And it's repeated three times in the first verse. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Now, in the ancient world, in the time in which John is living and writing, in this world, there were many people who understood that this word, this logos, was this infinite spirit, completely separated from the physical world and from all of matter. Because the physical world was believed at this time to be less than good. It was believed to be distinct from the real heavenly world. So... For those who believed in this way, there was always this tension between the flesh and the spirit, between the body and the the soul. And for some, approaching God meant that we had to deny physical things, even the very body that we have been given, because it was made of matter. The body was kind of perceived as the prison of the soul. For others, like the Greeks and the Roman philosophers, the word of God or the logos was this kind of great principle, this source of wisdom and intelligence. So people believed in order to approach God, you had to become powerful. You had to become more intelligent. And so those who were powerless, those who were deemed as foolish, were distant 
from God. For others, particularly among the Jews, the word of God or the Logos was understood as God's active and created word, the creative word. And though they thought that the word was full of grace and truth and dignity and worth, they also understood this word as a subordinate, that is a created being. And then there were others, of course, as there have always been, who saw the Logos or the Word of God as God in the beauty and the power and the life of the universe. But this was hardly a personal God. Now you might be thinking, why all of these ideas in your sermon? Well, all these ideas about the Word of God, about the Logos, are extremely important. They're important because they had a direct impact and influence on the people and the culture and world in John's time. Which is why what John says about the word of God was and continues to be the most revolutionary claim in all of history. Think of it this way. If what John says about the word is true, then everything changes. New life is given to our world, and this new life is life with God. Life that Mary, the mother of Jesus, says will drive away uncontrolled pride and uncontrolled greed, unbridled lust. It's life that will lift up the lowly, life that will fill those in great need, life that will fill the hungry, the lonely, and the poor. If what John says is true about the word, then Everything changes. And this is the life that God offers to the world. Life to the full with himself and with one another. And so my prayer, my hope this morning is that you and I will receive the new life that God offers to us in and through his son, Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. Look with me in verses 1 through 3. John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. In these few verses, John points to a new beginning, to a new creation. And he uses words that recall the first creation in Genesis 1, in the beginning. Like the first creation, this new creation is made possible through the word of God, who John says was in the beginning. This means that there was never a time when the word was not. The word was before all Things. What John is affirming here in these first three verses is that the word was not created. That the word existed before creation. That the word was God and through whom all things have come into being. Have come into existence. That is to say all of life is due to God through the activity of God's word, Jesus Christ. God is the source of life. Amen? And just as John links life with the word, so he links light with him. 
Later in John 8, 12 and 9, 5, John writes, In him is the light of the world. Later on in John 12, 46, John writes, The word made flesh, Jesus Christ, has come into the world as a light. And just as he who is life gives life, so he who is the light of the world gives light. And in the same way, the word of God is the source of life. The word of God is the source of light. What John is affirming here is that in the same way, the light of the word shined into the darkness of creation in Genesis 1 and continues in light of the fall in Genesis 3, the glory of God. The glory of God incarnate shines even brighter with greater brilliance and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 5. But John does make it clear that people love darkness and they wanted nothing to do with the light of God. Think about it. With light, you can either walk in it or you can turn and you can try to hide from it. For those who receive the light of God, they receive God and they receive life. In verse 12, John says, To all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. But those who resisted the light of God resisted God and the life God offers. They resisted life to the full. But we see in verse 14 that in one moment, in the particularity of time and space, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Sisters and brothers, this is the heart of the gospel. God, the eternal God, the creator of the heavens and the earth became like us. That God, the eternal God, the creator of the heavens and the earth became vulnerable. That God, the creator of the heavens and the earth became a mortal human being. Just for a moment... I want to pause and I want you to ask yourself this. What does this actually mean? What does it mean that God, the eternal God, the creator of the heavens, of all things, became like you and I, became weak and vulnerable, became a mortal human being? Just take time for one minute to sit in silence and ponder and wonder over how radical the belief that God was made human.
find it amazing that one among us gets it completely right in the moment of silence, the Holcut's daughter, because this is what it means, that in and through the incarnation, God's son became a baby. Children will lead us to the truth if we just listen. That in and through the incarnation, God's son becomes a baby needing a mother conceived in her flesh, nursed at her breast, needing her love and the love and the presence of a father in order to grow, in order to develop as a human being. With the word becoming flesh, with God taking on human form, able to be touched, able to be held, able to be listened to, all things are changed. New life is given to our world. With the word becoming flesh, Jesus makes all things new. And this is the good news. Not that you are a sinner, but that Christ Jesus is Lord. The good news is that God becomes flesh to make all things new. The word became flesh precisely to be close to the foolish. Precisely to be close to the powerless. Precisely to be close to the weak and vulnerable. To all those who do not have the energy to climb up or walk up the mountain of holiness, God became flesh. He came to touch hearts, to call people to trust, and to be in communion with him and with one another. And he dwelt among us. And this can be translated as he put up his tent among us to dwell with us. He became a pilgrim. He became your brother. He wants to walk through the desert with us. He wants to reveal to you and I the way to God, the way of peace with God and with one another. And this is good news. This is the gospel. This is what Christmas is about. And so we celebrate that God has become flesh to dwell among us. John then continues. <clears throat> we have seen with our eyes his glory, the glory of the only begotten son of the father who was full of love and full of truth. What John is proclaiming here is that God is no longer distant. God is no longer set apart from the world, for the world has seen him, and the world has received so much, if not everything, from him. The word became flesh. The word became weakness to empower us with love. The word became flesh to melt the hardness of our hearts, to break down our inner barriers and our inner systems of defense that protect our vulnerability and behind which we hide our fears and our loneliness. He came to touch the core of our being, to awaken with us, within us, love and compassion, to give you and I life. And the life that Jesus gives is the life that is to be lived. And listen, it is to be given away. 
It means that God became flesh, not only to break down your inner barriers and your inner systems of defense, but all barriers, all systems of defense. God became flesh is the reason Paul writes, as we heard in our New Testament lesson this morning, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. God became flesh and everything changes. We see that John continues in verses 15 through 18. He says, from the fullness of life and love in him, we have received love upon love. Your translation might be grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses, but love and truth came through Jesus, the Messiah. No one has ever seen God except the only begotten son who was in the womb of the father. He has made God known. As one commentator translates this, the only son of God who came to lead us into the womb of the father. What is clear here is that in God there is communion, that in God there is unity, in God there is love and there is light, and from this communion all creation flows. And this movement finds its fulfillment as the word became flesh to lead us into a new communion with God, to become one with God. For in God, there is life. God is the source of life. Through Jesus, we are drawn into God and we become children of God. We receive the very life of God within us through the life that is Jesus Christ who has seen God, is with God, and as John says, is and is in God. Jesus Christ alone shows us the way of life in and with God. Jesus Christ, God in flesh, who was, who is, and who is to come, is the one to whom John bears witness that he is the eternal word of God, the son of God, begotten, not made, as we say in our creed, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate. He, take, he took on flesh by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man. You see, everything John is proclaiming here and throughout the remainder of his gospel is so that you and I may believe that Jesus is Lord and that by believing we may have life in his name. The life that Jesus offers is his own life. Life to the full. The life that Jesus offers is a life that unveils lies. It is a life that unveils illusions and the hypocrisy of our own hearts. It is life that bears witness to the truth and leads us to God, who is the God of compassion and forgiveness. If Jesus is the truth, then one thing the truth does it reveals falsehoods. If Jesus is the light, one thing that the light does, it illuminates, it exposes darkness. Beloved, receive the life that God has on offer in Christ Jesus. Receive the truth that will set you free. Receive the light that will cast away fear and darkness. In the person of Jesus Christ, God took on human nature Fully, which means he took on all of its accompanying pain, all of the conflict that comes with it. In fact, the incarnation 
tells us that God is not interested in fleeing from the world of pain and conflict. If anything, it's a flight into it with all of its messiness. You see, the incarnation is like the divine crescendo of God's mission into the world for the life of the world. This life is the very life of God which Jesus came to give you and I. He came to give us through a new birth and growth in the Holy Spirit. It is a life of communion and friendship with God that sets us free from self-centeredness and leads us into deeper communion with God and with one another. And it is in this life, in communion with God and one another, where we are to grow in true knowledge of God. So what we find in John's Gospel this morning is the beautiful story of Christmas, of how the eternal Word became flesh and was born into this world. It is the story of how the word that was beyond us came to us to claim us and to lead us all from behind the barriers of fear and indifference into a new unity and peace with God, which flows from God and brings us into the very heart of God. So in closing, I want to read a poem that I hope sparks your imagination as you continue to wonder over the radical and powerful nature of God becoming flesh. I read a poem because there's just something about poems that I think communicate things that I could never communicate in prose or in preaching. And so I hope this poem, this song, this hymn captures your imagination today and for the rest of your life. Let all mortal flesh keep silent and with fear and trembling stand. Ponder nothing earthly-minded, for with blessing in his hand, Christ our God to earth descendeth, our full homage to demand. King of kings, yet born of Mary, as of old on earth he stood, Lord of lords in human vesture, in the body and the blood. He will give to all the faithful his own self for heavenly food. At his feet, the six-winged seraph, cherubim with sleepless eye, they veil their faces to the presence as with ceaseless voice they cry, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Lord, most high. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we saw his glory, the glory as of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.